You came prepared to get your joy back. I think that's something that's often kind of stolen from us during Christmas time. But it's such a part of the story, and it ought to be a part of our story. And as children of God, I think especially it's almost like your birthright. And so this morning, I hope that we can take back that which has been given us and sometimes robbed from us. In the scriptures this morning, you'll, you'll find uh, the story very familiar. It's the story of the shepherds and the angels and finding Jesus and swaddling clothes in the manger. But this morning, let me read it to you afresh. And as I do, I want you to listen for the joy in it. Can you hear it? And in the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy, which shall be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ, the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. And it came about, when the angels had gone away, from, heaven, uh, from them into heaven that the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing which has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came in haste and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in a manger. And when they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about the child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds went back glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as it had been told them. Well, Merry Christmas. I hope you heard the joy in that. It was a joy announced and a joy sung. Did you catch it in those few verses, starting with verse 10? And the angel of the Lord said to them, Do not be afraid. Behold, I bring you good news of a great joy, which shall be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. What would it mean for us to realize and take back and rediscover real joy not just christmas jingle you know I, when i was in high school i had a friend whose father opened up one of tulsa's first phone stores i know this is you know where you go and get your own phones it was a novel idea at the time it really didn't go very well it was over in Woodland hill small but he opened the store and my buddy dan was quite a musician and his dad asked him to write the store's jingle now, apparently the jingle wasn't very good because I can't remember the name of the, 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 the store. But usually, whenever you have a jingle, that's the point. 
Dan told me that was the point. He, he wanted his dad's store, uh, uh, store lodged in the memory uh, of people. You, you know how that happens uh, with all those songs and jingles. That, do you ever find yourself singing a jingle as it comes on the TV? Isn't that kind of scary? And they're all in there somewhere, you know, just ready to... Uh, you see a gecko, what do you think? You see a gecko, you think Geico, Right? Uh, somewhere some advertising person put those kind of associations together and and jingles are usually to help us remember something that's very mundane and not very important well we don't need jingle with this We, we we already have a jingle as a matter of fact i say mary you say isn't that interesting that joy's right there in the jingle mary you know uh have yourself a there you go that's right yeah yeah, that's it. It, it, it's right there. We've, we've already got a jingle. So jingle may not be uh, uh, what we need. Uh, jingles are about uh, circumstantial happiness. Jingle. Jingle bell, jingle bell, jingle all the way. Oh, what fun it is to ride. Really? Really? You like being out in the cold without being covered up? Really? You, you, all it takes to make you happy is the jingle of horse bells. You know? A, a, a jingle. I'm a southern boy. I want to get to the chestnuts roasting on an open fire. You know, and that kind of a ride. But, but it seems so much of the time, some of what makes us happy at Christmas is the jingle. I mean, it's the fun. It's the music. It's uh, uh, the food. It's the, the gaiety of the fellowship. All that kind of stuff. And nothing's wrong with that. But that hardly represents or carries the weight of the kind of joy that's talked about here. In Luke 2.10, this great joy is uh, Karen Megalane. Do you hear that? This is mega joy. Caroline, it even rhymes. Maybe it was the first jingle of Christmas. I don't know. Uh, Caroline, Maryland, great joy. And, and what jingle could, could get across this kind of good news? It's really not fair to, to ask that of it. This was the single greatest intervention in all of human history. Do we really need a jingle to remember it? This is talking about something much deeper than that, something much more unwavering than that, something much heartier than that. It's the deep, unwavering joy that is biblical joy, is God's joy. And I, I think that must have been why on that Christmas night it was called the good news of a great joy. It was almost as if the shepherds didn't get it. They were scared. The angel assured them. But to, to just get them in on some of this great joy, it was like heaven was pulled back and a, and a heavenly choir erupted. You know, hallelujah chorus kind of stuff. Glorious in, <coughs> in eggshells cease Deo. That's how my choir director taught me to, to say, you know, it, I don't know if it was in foreign languages, but I'm sure it was magnificent. Let us go then and, and see this thing which the Lord has made known to us. It was so incredible that they couldn't possibly begin to wrap their minds around the joy that was trying to be communicated to them. Only God could really know all that he was giving us in this gift. 
what he was saving us from. What he was saving us for. Only God had an inkling. And it broke out in a huge celebration that broke through the heavens into this earth. An incredible, imagine, imagine if this God who Jesus showed us his heart, if this God is the kind of God that Jesus describes him as, as one who when even one sinner repents and turns towards home, calls all the heavenly hosts around and says, celebrate with me for just one sinner that turns toward home. Imagine the joy of heaven when the rescuer of every sinner showed up on the scene. Euphoria. Overwhelming celebration. The joy that must have been leaking from heaven into this world at that moment. I'm sure it overwhelmed the shepherds. They had to go uh, share it with others. But first of all, this was God's joy. And I think that's really important. That this was God's rescue of, of every prodigal, fully enfleshed, incarnate, and starting to work out His plan to redeem us all. It could have been different. We, we could have imagined it differently. If you were a heavenly father, how would you imagine it? You are sending your son to die in the place of all these mortals. I could have imagined it different ways. God could have been resentful for the price that it would cost. But not if you look at Christ. Not if you read this story. We could have misread and misassumed many things about the God who came seeking us out. But when he came, he didn't come angry. Imagine, if God came for you right now, uh, if God showed up to you right now, what mood do you think he'd be in? Have you ever thought about that? It would be the mood of this night. The mood of this great, overwhelming joy. This joy that is not just for those that are special or seemed good enough by all the rest of us. No, this is a joy for who? For all the people. All the people. Do you know how deeply you're loved? I've told the story so many times. If, if you've heard it and you're bored with it, forgive me. But it's just such a beautiful picture of a heavenly father's heart. Bob Benson tells the story of, of taking his oldest son away to school. Now, there were still four other kids at home, remember? And, and uh, he and his wife loaded him up with the stereo and the little bag and, and, and took him off to college, got him up in his room, you know, and he was a freshman in college. He didn't really want mom and dad hanging around too long. That wasn't very cool. So they said their goodbyes, got back in the car, and started towards home. And on the way back home, they hardly said a word to each other. It was a, a several-hour drive, and somewhere along the way, the husband, Bob, realized that his wife wasn't saying anything, turned to her, and she was having the same experience. A, a tear was tracing her cheek. They came back home, and for weeks, that mood didn't seem to lift. Mark was their son. And, and now Mark wasn't there with them anymore. And it was breaking their hearts. They went to work, and other workers noticed the funk that they were in, you know, and said, what is up with you this week? Well, we took Mark away to college. 
Well, what big deal is that? You still got four kids at home. Some of them still of the age where this Christmas you're going to have to put training wheels on the bikes. I mean, you've, you've got a lot more kid experience at home. Why you get over this? But they just didn't seem to be able to do it. They said, you have plenty of children at home. Don't let that spoil your time. And so... God tried to work through it. It didn't seem to work. One evening, they were setting table for dinner in a typical kind of hurry. All the plates went out. Everybody sat down. The father started to bow his head to pray. And they looked around, and out of habit, Mom had set down Mark's plate along with everybody else. And there it was, the empty plate and the empty seat. And Bob Benson said it was at that moment that he realized something. In parental math, all your kids minus any one of your kids, does not equal plenty. Jesus shows us a heart like that. He dares us to believe that this God is a God that wishes that none should perish, but all come home. All enjoy his embrace. All be reconciled unto him. This is God's Christ. He's our Savior and our Lord. Did you catch that? Is Jesus, uh, uh, let me read it to you. I'm going to butcher it. Uh, Verse 10, 11. For today in the city of David there has been born for us a Savior who is Christ the Lord. He's our Savior. He's our Lord. But he's God's Christ. What does that mean? What, What is a Christ? A Christ means chosen one, anointed one, picked one. This is God's instrument. For our redemption, Jesus will do for us what none of us can do for ourselves. And that's offer a life to God that's worthy of his full embrace. And he did that for us on the cross, dying for us in our place. And the righteousness that allows us entry into heaven and allows us into a reconciled relationship with God is not our righteousness, not our track record, not our self-justifications. It doesn't matter how we compare to anybody else. The comparisons are all gone because it's now Christ's righteousness that makes us right with God. If we receive Christ, we've received that gift of reconciliation with our Heavenly Father. He is God's Christ. And so Christmas erupts with God's joy. But joy's well is Jesus. Joy's well is Jesus. Years ago, uh, our family was touring uh, the Holy Land, and we came to a place called Caesarea Philippi. It's that place where Jesus asked his disciples, Who do you say that I am? And, And Peter, of course, answers, You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, Well, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father in heaven has revealed this to your spirit and i shall build my church on this rock peter petra rock i shall build my church on on this rock on this foundation some have thought that that meant that god was saying he was going to build the church on peter's back i don't think that's what he was saying at all i think he was saying uh, that god was going to build his church based on that realization on, on that awareness 
that God has chosen us as, as His children through Jesus Christ. And the joy of that is available to each of us. The joy is in Jesus we were, we were there at that particular place at Caesarea Philippi. Dad was, uh, had had some really rough years, difficult times in the ministry uh, several years up to that time. And we, we were in the Holy Land, and Dad has told me that he stood over those waters at Caesarea Philippi. It's a, it's a really unique place. The gates of hell shall not prevail against thee. There's, a, there's a, 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 a spring that used to come right out of that mountainside rock way up there north. It becomes the Jordan River, which, uh, which becomes the Sea of Galilee, which runs on down to the Dead Sea. It's, it's really the heart of life throughout that desert country of, of Israel. And, and this is where it all begins. These are the headwaters. Water just flows out of the side of that rock. We don't know how, how, that, how that water gets up there or, or how it comes out. Uh, it just comes out of a rock. And it was such a uh, a life-giving place that even the pagans saw it as something sacred. And so they erected all of their, their pagan gods up around that, that life-giving source. And the Jews came to call that place the gates of hell because it was the place where all other false gods were worshipped. And Jesus in that place says, Who do you say that I am? You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And from that life-giving source... Life flows throughout Israel, throughout us as his people as we receive it. A few years, a hundred years or so after Jesus said that, almost as if Satan was trying to mock him, there was an earthquake that sealed that spring. And then from the base of that cliff, the water just reemerged. Have you ever seen a river flow out of a rock? That is Caesarea Philippi. And the waters are cool and clear. Colorado spring water, clear. Always refreshing. And it was at that place that he asked that particular question. Jesus is joy's well. Dad stood over those waters, worn out, empty, spent, joy robbed. And as he did, he almost asked of those waters, he told me, how is it that you flow so cool, so refreshing, so life-giving over centuries? He said it was almost as if the water said back, it's easy when you flow out of the rock. When your joy is based on something other than the circumstances of what's going on around you, but when it's based on something that will not change God's love for you, expressed in Jesus Christ, on Jesus Christ himself, on that revelation, when your joy is based on something that real, it doesn't matter what you're feeling or thinking in this moment. A greater reality is not how you are. It's whose you are. And that's the source of, of Christian joy. It, it, it wasn't that long ago. I don't know if I have a pen on me this morning that uh, we shared this little illustration. This is not in the notes. What, what do you see? A black dot? That's what most everybody sees when they look at this. That's what I see when I first looked at that. But somebody pointed out to me one time that that's not a black dot only. That is 
95% blank paper. But sometimes we can get so focused on our particular circumstance that, that we lose sight of the huge canvas that God is wanting to paint and make of our lives. Something much more real is what we're becoming than what we've been. Whatever we've been, if we lived to 100, we could only have been at 100 years. But for all eternity, we're going to be what he's already making of us. The canvas is being painted even now. And we can become collaborators with what God could do in our hearts. Joy's well is Jesus. A counselor once mentioned to me that he was trying to apply this statement to his own life. He said, I must learn to be heartbroken and happy at the same time. We don't deny the black dots in our lives. But we recognize what is so much more. I must learn to be happy and heartbroken even at the same time. And that's kind of the signature, isn't it, of biblical joy, of God's kind of joy when it lives within us. It's joy that can exist and sometimes joy that even erupts in those moments where we're most afflicted. And First uh, Thessalonians 1, six, it talks about that joy erupting in the Thessalonians even though they were being hard-pressed with affliction. And that word for hard-pressed is thalipsis. And it it's a word that actually describes an ancient torture. Thalipsis. Hard-pressed. Doesn't even begin to get at it. It was a torture where the subject of the torture was tied in ropes and stretched out on a, on a, on a hard surface, on a ground. And, and then that person was uh, uh, subjected to the pressure of a huge boulder being lowered upon them until it crushed the life out of the one that it was torturing. Thalipsis. But even in a great affliction, joy is emerging. How is that possible? Because it's a joy that doesn't depend upon the circumstances. It depends on something deeper. Remember the, the couple that was asked about in, in the flight when it became so turbulent? The plane was bouncing around and everybody was upset, anxious, fearful, nauseous. It was a horrible, horrible plane ride. And then some of those back in the coach section heard something that was completely foreign to that experience. From the first class area, they heard uh, giggles. And for a while, they just thought, what are those people drinking up there? And then one guy actually asked, he says, what's going on up there? And, and she said, no, 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 it's, it, it, they haven't imbibed too much tonight. That, that's actually a honeymoon couple. Do you get it? They were so aware of the rest of the canvas. So in tune with each other. That the turbulence ceased to shake them. It ceased to affect them. There was something deeper. A joy that that could not repress. And sometimes that kind of joy is most obvious in somebody's life exactly when it's, they're going through a tough time. You may know somebody who's going through a tough time like that. If so, I hope you'll invite them this Monday night before Christmas to dinner. 
Now, you could do it this way. You could have a friend in your life that is under a crushing load this Christmas. Maybe they're experiencing grief. Maybe they've lost a job. Maybe they, they don't have the finances that they would long to have in order to bless their family. Maybe it's just a tough Christmas this Christmas. Know anybody like that? Did somebody come to mind just then? Well, you, you could. You could decide to have a dinner where you invite them over and they enjoy the festivities of the season and the joy of Christmas right there at your table. Or I can tell you an even easier way. Just bring them here that Monday night. We'll have the dinner ready. Enjoy the ship around. And then come to an hour service of getting in touch with this joy that we're talking about. Who do you know that really needs that gift this Christmas? Joy isn't something that's circumstantial. Joy is something that runs deeper than that. So that even in affliction, this kind of joy erupts. It was the kind of joy that was erupting in in Paul. When Paul said, rejoice with me, Philippians, the Philippians were about to experience the same kind of persecution that Paul had. Paul was saying, rejoice with me, and he was in prison. What kind of joy is that? Rejoice with me. It's It's a choice. It's choosing where we focus, on the black dot or on the larger canvas. Paul says rejoice. He had discovered something, that joy is really a gift of the Holy Spirit that lives within us. You know what's in the list. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. All those fruits of the Spirit, they're a part of a life where, where God lives in us from the center. In fact, this word joy, kera, in the Greek, is based on the word, the same root, charis, which is a different word. Kera is joy, but it comes from the root, charis, which is grace. God's unmerited favor. His love for us that never changes. From grace can become joy. I plead with you this Christmas not to reject the God who has already accepted you. Accept His acceptance of you. And let it fill your heart with joy. Let this Jesus grow up from just a kid and a cradle and a story. To be not only Christ, but Savior and Lord. And then this great joy that's God's joy will start to flow in you. His joy can become our joy. And when that's the case, I think there's three things in this particular passage that kind of give us some guidance, some clues as to what to do with that joy. First of all, I'd say share it. Share it. That's what the shepherds did. The first thing that they did, as soon as they heard this great good news and the angelic choirs receded into heaven, as they said to one another, let us go straight to Bethlehem. Their first response was not a me response. It was a we response. Not not we. We response. Joy is something that is not diminished when we share it but is actually multiplied when we share it. 
Their joy then is not to be compared after they went into town and found these others to tell the same story. In verse 20 it says, And the shepherds went back glorifying and praising God. They went from terror to curiosity to overflowing praise and glorifying God. Joy. Share it. Just this last week, I got a text from a friend. He's in a season in his life where he's trying not to look at the big black dot, but the rest of the canvas. It it was just a short text. I'm sure it only took him 15 seconds to write it. But, But it warmed my heart. And I found joy flowing. After he told me and a couple others of his buddies, guys, it's so good to know you as friends and to have the friends that you've been to me and to share this hope that nothing can take away. Thanks for being those kinds of friends. This from a father that two years ago lost his son to suicide on December 12th. Real joy. It's survival. Real joy meets the real needs of this world. Cheryl, each each Christmas, I love it when she gets moved to do this because I get in on the benefits of it. She, She loves to bake up her banana bread. And if you've not had some of Cheryl's banana bread, oh my gosh. It's awesome stuff. And it's not that expensive, but she, she'll, she'll make that stuff up and she'll just share it among friends. And I, I'm so glad that she does because I get the leftover ones that are even better. I think sometimes she just says she forgot to put something in or baked it a little too long so, so I can have some too. Share it. I know of another family this, this Christmas that came time to to trade their car and it was uh, they were buying a new car and I know this experience don't you of going in and finding out what your trade in value is, is really going to be honored to be this is a great idea they decided not to trade it in they're going to give it to somebody who might need it real can you imagine how fun that's going to be to pass the, the joy of getting to bless and being part of one's God, one of God's blessings that way. It might be with the blankets. This last week we, we started these, and that's actually how they're going to look. Jesus came for you, Eli, Christmas 2014. That's one of those blankets, and, and, and they're going to kids in orphanages here in Oklahoma, 54 of them. Uh, last week, as we said, we had 45 uh, purchased, and those are already on the way. We've, in faith, already purchased the 54 uh, every one of them has one of those uh, orphan kids, uh, foster kids' uh, names on their blanket. Every one of them is in that kid's favorite color. It's personal, and uh, we're, we're hoping it'll be a blessing. We're not going to say it's from any church. We think it says all it needs to say right there. Jesus came for you. Maybe you'd like to help us complete that. That. That's another way to share it. We'd love to hear more of your ideas on the crowns that you put up on the 
the marquee back there, kind of in, in, in the corner. Crowns for how you can make this Christmas a real joy or, or an expression of real hope. Share it, but also cherish it. Mary did that. She treasured up all these things in her heart. What was she treasuring? She was treasuring the story of this good news of a great joy. She treasured it. I love that word. What what does that mean? She treasured up these things in her heart. Uh, I, I think treasure means that it's not only cherished, but it's guarded. You know, it's precious. Uh, you, you don't park it on the street. You park it in the garage. Are you with me? If it's a really treasured vehicle. Uh, it was treasured. I don't know about you, but there's things that can steal my joy. And there's times when I just let it go. I don't even realize I've done it. But the stress can steal my joy. Traffic can steal my joy. Hassles, hot water heaters, <laughs> grief can steal our joy. But God is teaching us to treasure this, to guard this, to reclaim it when it's taken from us, to learn to be both heartbroken and full of joy, even at the same time. Joy is knowing Jesus joins you in the painting of the whole canvas. God did this at Christmas, and He can still do it with our whole lives. I had a conversation last night at the children's program with a, with a gentleman who uh, is becoming a good friend of our church and has been here actually for quite some hours to consider in church family, but... Uh, he, he told me of, of his life, and it's not so different than the rest of us. He, he grew up in the church uh, until he was about 17, and then, then his life took a straight turn. And like many of us, some of those straight turns we have a hard time coming back from. And from 17 to about 30, 31, he, he described something that I'll just describe as a reckless life. But then at 30, God drew him back. He, he was one of those over which heaven's joy erupted as he turned towards home. But today, God has taken even that part of the story, those, those years of recklessness, and, and, and now he is a security guard in, in one of Tulsa's most difficult high schools, a security guard. But he does so much more than just guard the place. He guards the kids. Every one of them that gets in trouble with him, he lets them know, I'm here to talk to you about Whatever is making you angry. Anytime. This big, gargantuan man caring for many sons and daughters that don't know that kind of... Isn't it amazing how God does that? He can take even the black dots and weave them into something beautiful. And He can do that for any one of us. He did it at Christmas. And he won't just do it at Christmas. He'll, he'll, he'll do it with our whole lives. Share this joy. Treasure this joy. But also ponder it. Gee, Mary pondered these things in her heart. What does that mean? I think it means that she mused about it from time to time. What could this mean? What, what's the full impact of this? She, she mused about it. She recalled it. 
she remembered this great joy that she had been told about. Nothing so quickly steals our joy than neglecting to remember that we already have it. Nothing so quickly steals our joy than neglecting to remember that we've already been given it. He was a great philanthropist and a man of great wealth. And this is actually a true story. I've tried to find out who it was. I think it was Rockefeller, but I'm not, I haven't confirmed that. But he was a man of great wealth. And, and one of the things he did with his wealth, not only with his philanthropy, but he also had an incredible art collection. And at one time in, in the history of his gathering all this art, he, he, his heart seized upon a particular rare piece that, that he came to believe he just had to have. Right? He'd pay any price for it. He, he contacted all the curators around the world in museums to be on the lookout for it. He, he found art brokers that had been very successful for him in the past and put all of them on the trail of this one particular rare piece of art that he just had to have. And years went by, and nobody could find it until a curator finally came to him and told him, Sir, we, we found that piece of art that you've always longed for. And he said, Really? Really? Tell, tell me, how much is it going to cost? Where'd you find it? I'll pay any price. I've just got to have it. And the curator said, sir, I'm actually the curator from your own gallery. You purchased this piece 20 years ago and didn't realize that it was already in your possession. Could that be a picture of us? Looking for joy in the jingle when we already have the most priceless gift. The joy. The re- ever-renewing joy. We know the well. And if your life is dry this morning, I encourage you to go to that well today, right now. Do you know that joy? Have you already received him into your heart and into your life? Jesus has already accepted you. Have you accepted his acceptance of you? Joy begins with that decision. The Holy Spirit is granted, and the fruit of the Spirit, joy, can start to flow in your life. You need not be overwhelmed, even in great affliction, because this is a joy and a source of joy that will never leave you nor forsake you. Right now, heaven is on tiptoe. The angels have the choirs cued for even one of us that might come home. For even one of us that might rediscover this morning this joy a joy that we can receive, a joy that we've already received, but a joy, my friends, that's yours. Would you stand with us this morning as we celebrate it together?
Let's pray together. Lord God, as we remember you are with us, we pray that by the power of your Spirit, by the presence of your Spirit, you would communicate that to every heart that opens to you right now. We thank you that even now you are opening our hearts to you. And Father, this morning we come. We come to receive Jesus. We turn our hearts towards him. And we pray that the flood of joy would overcome even hot water heaters. That the flood of joy would raise a tide of gratitude and life within us that spills over. Come, Lord Jesus. Fill our hearts this morning. And as we sing this final song and you turn your heart to him and that filling begins. If that's a testimony and a public statement you want to make today, we invite you to this altar. We'll celebrate with you. God bless you for hearing this morning and receiving that because of what Christ has done, you are God's child. He claims you. He comes for you now if you'll come for him. In Jesus' holy name. Hear our praise, Lord Jesus, as we sing it to you. Amen. Mm-hmm.